0: Colossians chapter 3. We are beginning uh, this morning the fourth and final section of this letter. We've been working through piece by piece, and uh, I'd like to begin this morning by reminding ourselves of the sections we've looked at so far and the general description of each one. And so, very quickly, let me kind of run back through these. Maybe these are fresh, maybe not, so we'll kind of warm them back up again. Uh, But chapter 1, we saw primarily uh, the Sufficient Christ Exalted. And so we looked at this. This, of course, includes that glorious statement about our Christ and his preeminence. Um, and so that is chapter one, the Sufficient Christ Exalted. In chapter two, we saw that there are counterfeits. And this chapter exposed subtle counterfeits, subtle counterfeits exposed. And we saw that in the form of some ideas, philosophies, practices, uh, things that would try and replace or add to Christ, and Paul identifies some of that and then most recently, <clears throat> we just finished up in chapter three in the first seventeen verses, what we described as the soul calling explained, so we saw here this calling for saints to be like Christ, and this is the soul calling of saints. Of course, we have other callings. Each of us has careers and responsibilities in life, and we get to that in this next section, but this is the main thing. Uh, Dear dear Christians, we are to be pursuing Christ-likeness, and that was uh, chapter 3 and verses 1 through 17. Well, That brings us now to that last section, beginning in verse 18 of chapter 3, running down through chapter 4, and we put this way back when we broke this book out looked at it overall, we, we described this section this way. This is the saint's conduct exhorted. So we're getting into more conduct, more practice. In these final 26 verses, we could say this, our calling meets our conduct in some very personal and practical ways. And I'd like to begin this morning by reading the first portion of this section, which is verse 18 of chapter 3 down through verse 1 of chapter 4. Our chapter divisions don't really do justice to the actual breaks in the section here. So we're going to read these verses, and then we'll begin looking at them in more detail. Beginning in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord." Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ." For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. It should be fairly clear to us in a read-through of that section that this is a section that belongs all together. And the roles that Paul is dealing with here, it deals really with the household sphere of life, And really doing that in three couplets. The first couplet we can see is husbands and wives, relationship of marriage. The second couplet is fathers and children, the relationship of parenting. And then the third couplet is this one, masters and servants, the relationship of what we might call employment. And so there's these couplets that it's dealing with. Interesting note, Ephesians includes a parallel text to this in Ephesians 5 into chapter 6. And it's interesting to note the differences. One of the differences that stands out is how much time is given in Ephesians to a role like the husband's role, and how much time here in Colossians is given to the role of a servant's role. This one's fairly brief in instructions to wives and husbands and children, parents, but it expands for a few verses on this idea of servants. One thought with that would be that along with the letter to the Colossian church was most likely also going a letter to a man named Philemon, and we know that letter from our Bibles as well, and that letter deals with a servant who ran away, and Paul's sending him back to his master, now a child of God. And Paul's encouraging him, Philemon, to think about how he responds to his servant And so perhaps in the Colossian church, there was a specific need for Paul to spend a little more time on the aspect of servants, and maybe in the Ephesian church, he knew of a situation he wanted to spend more time with husbands, but for whatever reason, these do differ in those ways. But before we dive into these six individual roles or these three couplets, what I want to do is start with an introduction with two aspects we have to have in place, and that is really the connection and the balance going on here. I think it's good to note these two aspects. So let's start with the connection this morning, some contextual details. How do these nine verses connect with the previous section of chapter 3? Paul jumps right in, and most commentators you pick up, they acknowledge this is a very abrupt section. It just jumps right in. Wives, husbands, children, fathers, servants, masters, boom, 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 boom. Not a lot of easing into it, or how does it connect? I want to walk us through a few things in the text we just read and note a phrase, a statement, a word that keeps showing up. If you look at verse 18, notice this little phrase, in the Lord. And then look at verse 20, speaking to children, this pleases the Lord. And then verse 22, servants obey, fearing the Lord. And verse 23, as for the Lord. And then two times in verse 24, from the Lord, serving the Lord Christ. And chapter 4 and verse 1 ends with not Lord in English, but actually it's the same Greek word, it's the word kurios, it's that word master in heaven. So seven times, these roles, these responsibilities are connected to the Lord, And I want to ask you, if you can, in your minds, think back, where have we most recently seen this aspect of the Lord show up in our passage? Can you think back to chapter 3 and verse 17? Let's look there for a moment. Verse 17, remember that third instrument for our Christlikeness? Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here's the connection we should make. These nine verses lay out the lordship or authority of Christ over all spheres of life, even the routine spheres of domestic life. Just think about this for a moment. We, we really can't get into any more basic spheres, areas of life than the home life. I mean, this is, it's, like, it's like common. It's just part of life. You go home and there's people there and there's family and there's dynamics and there's relationships and you go to work and there's employer and boss and all this. These are the fundamental roles and spheres of life. And back in chapter 3 and verse 3, we notice this statement, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your very life, believer, our very lives And you can't get any more basic or foundational to our lives than these roles mentioned here. Even they are subject to Christ's governance. One writer summarized it this way. Christ governs the entire universe. That's chapter one. That preeminent, sufficient, sovereign Christ. And now, what happens? In this chapter, including the mundane affairs of the household. The majesty of Christ... And he's concerned with the affairs of our households. This is so important to grasp. If you would, look back up at verse 10. You read that those in Christ have put on the new self. And then it goes on to say this. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all in it and all. And I say this is an important point to grasp, this connection, because of this. There are many today who come to a passage like this, like we just read, and we're going to look at further this morning, and they want to dismiss with all roles and responsibilities that are laid out in Scripture. And they'll point to things like those statements in verse 10 saying this, well, look, I'm free in Christ. He freed me from all those those constricting expectations and roles that, you know, culture, and people have forced on us, that's not any more necessary. Wives, husbands, children, parents? No, I'm free in Christ. But this connection, this connection brings us to this reality. This reality that the identity of Christ explained back up in chapter 3 becomes the reason for dismissing for, for for actually strengthening and guarding and being more intentional in our earthly roles. Our identity in Christ, in other words, doesn't dismiss these roles. It actually becomes the thing that overshadows and brings governance to all of them. That is so important. Because on the other side, Individuals have taken some of the roles that have been laid out here and they've gone to other extremes and they've abused them. And dear saints, that is not our governance. These things are all under the lordship of Christ. And I would argue this, I think it's also important because it brings us back to this reality that there are certain things in scripture that are simply not going to be understood by those who have not put themselves under Christ as Lord. This text, the roles we're going to look at and the things expected of these roles, the world looks at and mocks and says, There's no way. Well, there is a way. There is a way when we put ourselves under Christ and His authority. And so, this, this, this connection of Christ is Lord. And he's not just Lord in the abstract, big idea of it. He's Lord in the various, very small and even mundane affairs of our lives. The connection. As we work through these roles, we must keep in mind who is Lord over them. Jesus Christ has authority over these. They're not defined by me. They're not defined by you. God's children are not at liberty to toss them because they... Deem them culturally irrelevant or out of touch, out of sync with modern humanity. Nor are we at liberty to twist these roles to serve our own purposes. We are not the masters. Christ is. So, this brings a question I think is good to keep before us as we go through this. And that question is this Are we yielded to Him? Are we yielded to Him? But there's a balance to this as well. There's a balance to this section that I want to highlight. And perhaps it's best noted by comparing it to some similar things that were written at the same time as this writing would have been going on. The Greek and Roman culture included household guidelines and rules like this. And you can find examples of this. Um, they They were common, but they were typically focused on the management of the house. So think of it like a practical how-to book. How to take care of your home. How to manage the home. In that day, the home, the family, was seen as a, as a fundamental building block of society. And if that went to pot, then we've got nothing. So let's make some household rules that really help us have good homes, manage these well, so everything builds well together. That was the thinking. That was, that's, that was the th- secular thinking of the day. One writer spoke of this, the focus of these codes was on the head of the household and what he should do to maintain order and decorum. Interestingly, no other household code we have available to us from ancient times speaks of husbands loving their wives. There's a balance to what God comes to us with where he's not just saying, hey man, I'm going to tell you how to manage your homes. See, God's concerned, again, with Christ's likeness. And God's concerned that the relationships be right. And he's concerned with each one of us filling our roles, fulfilling our responsibilities as he would have us in Christ. And so there's a balance to this. He talks to the wives and he talks to the husbands. He talks to the children and he talks to the parents. He talks to the servants <clears throat> and he talks to the masters. And each one of them He's connecting and holding accountable, ultimately, to the Lord. There's a balance here. Instructions to wives, children, and slaves, if taken on their own, could be, and unfortunately are, twisted by selfish individuals. But God beautifully balances the exercise of his son's lordship over these things by addressing both sides of the relationships. So these two contextual elements, connection and balance, are really important as we get into this text. And again, they raise a couple of questions. The first I said was this, am I yielded to the Lord even in the most basic settings of my life? Christian, don't forget, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life, even the most basic things, are you yielded? And the second question is this, am I seeking a balanced perspective and practice of these roles in my life? Or, maybe we could turn this around. Is there a certain degree that i become imbalanced and i become focused on one to the detriment of the other? So am I yielded and am I balanced? Having laid that groundwork, I'd like to go ahead and look at these as the couplets that they are. So this morning we're going to look at the first couplet, Husbands and wives, wives-husbands, we'll look at that one. And the next week, we'll look at the next, next two, parents and children. We looked at that one a few months ago, um, so we may, if we have time, we may go ahead and move right into uh, servants and masters. But this morning, let's look at verses 18 and 19 at the couplet pertaining specifically to marriage. And I'll mention this, you may be sitting here this morning and think, oh boy, this is the section I can check out on because this is not me. Let me encourage you. I mentioned this, I think we went through Ephesians. Um, this, this section is good for all of us as a body to be aware of for a couple of reasons. Number one, because you may not be married, but you may be married someday. So there's a good starting point. Another one is this, that we're called as a body to pray for one another and encourage and support one another. And so how do we know to do that for one another if we don't know some of the challenges and things that we're up against? And So we can pray better for each other. And then I would even add this, that we're called by Christ himself to disciple one another. And there's a certain aspect where we need to be equipped and ready to encourage and instruct and disciple even in things that we're not experienced in. Our world puts a lot of stock on experience. Oh, you haven't gone through what I've gone through? You can't talk to me about that. I'm sorry, dear Christian. If you know the word of God and God has taught you by his spirit and with faithful teachers you have an obligation to encourage and even instruct at times other believers with things that you may not have experienced, but you can bring truth along. So for those reasons, I'd encourage you, please stay with us this morning, and let's look first at the instruction to wives. With no introduction or ease of words, Scripture goes boldly where angels and many humans fear to tread. So let's go. Here's the role being addressed, all right? The role is wives. Wives. And here's the responsibility being commanded. Submit. Now, can we move on to the husbands? Can we be done with that one? <laughs> no, we need to consider some components that are brought up here in this text. Three components. Let's look at each of these. We'll look at the definition of this, we'll look at the orientation, and then the explanation. All right, and our passage brings us a little bit of each of these. Some of these we'll have to kind of look outside the passage a little bit. But let's start with the definition of the responsibility here. This word submit what does it mean what's going on here with this word the greek word is really two words um, a, a prefix and then a main greek word that has the idea of to order or arrange under so to order or arrange under and this is a term much despised in our world we probably know that and even much abused at times And so I think it's helpful for us to start by going to a setting where this word is used, but it's not in the context of marriage. Let's see it in a different setting and see what's happening, and then we can come back. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2 for a moment. The Gospel of Luke and the second chapter. Let's see this word in action in a little different context. Luke chapter 2. This is the account of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy. You might know this from perhaps Christmas messages or other lessons you've heard, but this is Jesus as a boy staying behind in Jerusalem in the temple while his parents leave to go home. And they get part way home and realize Jesus isn't with us. And so they rush back, and let's pick up the story in verse 48 of Luke 2. When Jesus' parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, And here's our word, and was submissive to them. That's our word from Colossians 3. He was submissive to them. If any of us are tempted to despise this word, this should give us pause. Even Christ himself is known by this action from a very early age. If there's Christ-like behavior to follow, this is it. I think it's helpful to consider some points about Jesus' submission here. First of all, Jesus could have claimed his rights. In his words in verse 49, being in the temple, he communicates, was his responsibility. I must be in my father's house. Didn't you know this? I must be here. He could have stood on that. This is not just my responsibility, this is my right, this is my place, dear mom and dad. Jesus could have argued his equality. Hey, my input is just as valuable as my parents. After all, I'm God. Of course, even saying that, we recognize that that does not even strike us as a tone Christ would take. But Philippians 2 says Jesus did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. And I think we don't see that in any better way than at this moment in his life where he lets go what he could have grasped. Hey, I am your creator. He doesn't grasp it. Jesus could have contended that he was being forced to live under parents who didn't understand him. Actually, verse 50 says that's exactly the case. They didn't understand, they didn't understand their own son. Mom and dad, you just don't get it. No, we don't. In spite of all that, Jesus did this. He arranged himself under. It wasn't that he lost his rights. He set them aside. It wasn't that he was less equal. He just didn't consider equality something to be grasped. It wasn't that he was forced. He voluntarily placed himself under the rule of those whom God appointed as his earthly authorities in life. Arranging oneself under authority is ordained by God was for Christ, is for wives, but let me add this. It's also ordained for a whole bunch of other people. Let me give you a few passages. You might just want to note these, jot these down. James 4.7 tells Christians broadly Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. We're all to be submitted to the Lord. Of the church toward Christ, Ephesians 5.24 says, the church submits to Christ. This is said of humans toward governing authorities. In passages like Titus 3.1, where Paul tells Titus, remind believers to be submissive to rulers and authorities. This is spoken of multiple times in Scripture. And this is even said towards... Younger believers and older, more mature believers, elders. 1 Peter 5 exhorts those who are younger be subject to the elders. So, come back to Colossians 3, and verse 18. Let's not despise or misuse this word. It's defined, here's the understanding, it's the idea of arranging oneself under someone else. And in this context, arranging oneself under a God-ordained authority. The second part of this is the orientation. What's the orientation of this responsibility? If you look back at Colossians 3.18, we're told this, wives, submit to your husband. I find it interesting, we highlighted this when we went through Ephesians. In Ephesians 5.22, the parallel passage, it stresses this, be submissive to your own husband's. I think that's an interesting clarification that Paul adds in in the Ephesians letter. Again, maybe he dealt with a specific situation there. I don't know. But the earthly orientation of this responsibility is a human individual. And that should right away clue us into this. This is not going to be perfect or smooth. Anytime you put human and human into the same relational interaction... It's not going to be perfect or smooth. Should raise an awareness right away. But there's an orientation here. And there's another phrase that's added in Colossians. Or sorry, Ephesians 5:22. It says this: it adds this phrase, as to the Lord. So we're pulling in here now from the parallel passage in Ephesians 5: Wives, submit to your husbands. And Ephesians comes in and says, As to the Lord. Well, a couple of things that that brings in. First, it keeps Christ central in the relationship. Wives, when your husband leads you in a way you disagree with, not wrong, just different, you can submit knowing you are obeying Christ. I think that statement in Ephesians 5 is helpfully pictured this way, that even as you look at your husband as, an, as, as the leader in the home, the one you arrange yourself under, behind him stands Christ. And ultimately, you're looking past your husband and you're looking at Christ and going, I can do this for Christ's sake. Again, we're not talking about things that are wrong. We're talking about things that perhaps we differ on. And Peter even adds this in 1 Peter chapter 3, A wife who submits even to a husband who does not obey the word has the potential of winning him to the Lord by her respectful and pure conduct. That's incredibly powerful. Say, but my husband is not doing what God has said. Well, God presses on that and says this. You can still, as to the Lord, with Christ in mind, barring wrong things, sinful things, you can still do this. And you have the opportunity of winning your husband, perhaps, to the Lord. That's an incredible, hope-filled comment. So it keeps Christ central, that statement as to the Lord. Human orientation, but behind it is a divine orientation. And the second thing that phrase does is this, it also provides a standard that sets limits for a wife's submission. Put it this way a wife's submission as to the Lord does not include obeying her husband by disobeying the Lord. Again, look at your husband, and behind him stands the Lord. And ultimately, you are to fear him, you are to honor him. The first and greatest commandment is to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so, submitting as to the Lord sets a boundary, it sets a limit. If your husband were to ask you to sin, submission as to the Lord puts a limit on that. No. This is the orientation. We have a definition, arranging oneself under. Orientation, submission to one's husband as to the Lord. But before we go further, I want to say this statement and make a comment here. Verse 19, of course, we'll direct more to the husbands in a moment, but I want to say a word to the husbands here. Don't don't miss the implication of this statement. You can't get a substitute for leading your wife. She's responsible to look to you. But the implication is this, behind you stands the Lord. So husbands don't forget that. But let's keep going. We have an explanation here in Colossians 3 The rest of this verse finishes up with another little phrase that may look similar to what we saw in Ephesians 5.22 and heard as to the Lord, but it's a little different phrase. An explanation. Why do this? Well, it's not because it's culturally acceptable. That's not where this passage goes. And it's not because the husband is better. That's not where this passage goes. And it's not because life just works better this way. This is a practical, just... This is how it works best. That's not the reason at all given here. The reason is this. Here's the phrase. It's fitting in the Lord. Submission to one's husband is appropriate for a wife who has confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there's other passages that build on this. And really, the passages go back to creation and the order that God created into humans in. But ultimately, it's all packaged up in this one statement. It's fitting. Here's a way to reflect the name of the Lord Jesus. This is the explanation. And I'll say this. This responsibility looks different in action from marriage to marriage. I think this is one reason why Peter goes to this for husbands. He says, husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way. This dynamic is going to vary from home to home. And I believe where we get into danger with this is when we start laying down hard lines that, well, if you're a Christian marriage, then this is what it's always going to look like. You know what? Each marriage is made up of unique personalities, unique gifts, and to some degree, each marriage is called in Christ to figure out these roles together before the lord it's the responsibility that will look different from marriage to marriage but it's safe to say that this responsibility rightly taken up in marriage will reveal itself most in the moments of disagreement right this is where it will come up i'm not talking again right or wrong things here i'm talking the daily decisions of life Let's just, let's just run with a couple personalities for a moment. Some, some husbands may tend to be more dogmatic and decisive. Some will be more diplomatic, all right? It's going to be a range. We know this. Different personalities. Those husbands need to submit themselves to the Lord as well, but here's the scriptural instruction. Arrange yourself under the authority of the man you covenanted, covenanted with before the Lord. Are we yielded to the Lord on this? Are we balanced in this? Without it, submission becomes a tool of tyranny. But then there's a second part to this passage. We've got to look at the balancing side. Wives, submit. Husbands, love. And God wisely addresses the other side of this relational coin here. Again, this stands out, especially in the culture of the day, where you had household rules given and it wouldn't speak to the husband's. It was just more manage, manage, manage. Or we could say this. Maybe this is the emphasis that's often gone to today. Husbands, lead. Well, lead is almost embedded, implied in the role in Scripture. But the thing that Scripture goes back to for husbands is a different L word. It's love. Husbands, love. And there's actually a second responsibility given here. There's a positive love and there's a negative. Don't be harsh. Don't embitter. And we'll look at both of those. First of all, let's look at the positive responsibility. Husbands, do love your wives. I want to ask you to turn to that parallel passage I've been commenting on all along because this one gives us, I believe, a good pattern to look at here. You may be familiar with this text Ephesians 5 and verses 25 and 27. We're going to see the same command given in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. But then there's a pattern given here. Let's look at this. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Let me start with this statement. This is a love that doesn't shift and change simply with the changes of life. As Christ loved. Aren't you thankful Christ doesn't shift in his love for his church based on how it looks that day? Boy, they've really gotten messy. Seems like they're not doing too well and kind of growing and getting better. But let's look at a few things in here because this is a pattern. He says, love as Christ loved, and then it ends in verse 28 with this. In the same way, husbands should love their wives. So what's the pattern? Well, first, Christ loved the church unconditionally. This goes a little bit to what I've already commented on. Do you know how unlovable Christ's church is at times? Do you know how unlovable we are at times? All of us. We're we're kind of difficult to get along with sometimes. It consists of former murderers, adulterers, thieves, blasphemers, liars, former enemies of God, scarred and marred by the sin that still so easily clings to us. Husbands, here's your pattern. Unconditional love. It doesn't matter how unlovable your wife is. Christ loved and loves us when we are at our worst. Love your wife unconditionally. Another piece in this pattern is this. Christ loved the church sacrificially. He gave himself up for her. He humbled himself to die for his church. I think this is one that increasingly, always been a challenge, but increasingly in our day is going to be difficult and more difficult for young men growing up. If I can just speak from the heart for a moment. Because we are so wired to live for ourselves, to live selfishly. And frankly, without going on too far of a tangent, so often the things that young men get involved with and get not bad things, but just even good things in their lives, but just get sucked into, just generate this greater and greater selfishness. I'm not used to living for things other than me. But here's the call to husbands. Love, like Christ, he gave himself. It's a sacrificial love. You say that's impossible. Well, it's just as impossible as it is for the wife to submit to her husband when he's being disobedient to God's word, 1 Peter 3. So we've got balance here, remember? Christ, thirdly, the pattern goes on, Christ loved the church purposefully. He had a goal in mind. He didn't love the church for who she was. He loved the church for who she would be. For what he was going to make of her. I know where I'm going with this. I'm going to go somewhere called holiness and blamelessness without spot, without wrinkle, pure, white, washed in the blood of the lamb. Glorious church. He had purpose. He's preparing her for eternity with himself. Husbands, let me say a word to you for a moment, to us for a moment. We can't change our wives. That may be news to some of us. We can't do that, not like Christ can. But if you would obey God's command to love your wife, you need to be purposeful. Look to the future, look to who she could be by God's grace. Stop complaining about who she is now and at least start considering and praying about who she will be someday. And what are you doing to encourage her in preparation for that great day? Let me ask this. As a believer, what's our overarching commission from Christ? It's to make disciples, right? So husbands here's one of the things we have to understand. If we're a believing husband, the greatest purpose we can keep in sight in loving our wives is that she is our first and primary responsibility for discipleship. The care of her soul. I'll even stretch it and say this. Every husband is a pastor of his home, a shepherd of his home, responsible for the care of the little flock that God entrusted to him. To shepherd that along to Christ's likeness. Maybe she's an unbeliever. Well, discipleship starts with evangelism, doesn't it? And being a sweet smelling aroma for Christ. Encouraging her walk with the Lord if she's a believer. It might look like listening to her worries and fears and then praying together about them. You might not be able to fix them, men. We can't fix a lot of them. But we can pray, we can listen we can bring back to truth. Teach her to take them to the one who cares. It might look like patiently and diligently saying, we're going to church to join with God's people. I know we don't feel like it this week, but we're going to do it because this is where we need to be. This is the call to us men. Lead, but that's not the word given in scripture. Husbands, love. Unconditional, sacrificial, purposeful. Second responsibility given here is worded negatively, and it's this, don't be harsh. Other translations say this, don't be bitter toward them. So a little bit of a question is, is it being bitter in my own spirit toward them, or is it being harsh in my attitude, my actions toward them? It could be some crossover here. I think it's probably fair to say it this way, uh, we know what it is to have a bitter spirit toward someone, Right? It it makes every word a stabbing word, every look a piercing stare, every touch a frosty touch. But your wife, husbands, is growing as well. She will not submit perfectly, she will be growing, she'll be changing in Christ. And there will be days her flesh rages and wars. That's not the moment to bury her in her failures. Don't be harsh. That's not the moment to come along and keep her at arm's length to refuse kind help around the house. And I speak too much for myself when I say that we as husbands too often act like little children throwing temper tantrums when they don't get their way. Don't do that. Don't be harsh. So interesting that Paul, through the Spirit, marries this with that difficult dynamic of your wife, wives submit, husbands, you may not take that and run with it like a tyrant. If you want an express way to marital destruction, start demeaning your wife. Belittle her. Highlight her flaws. Add to her load while refusing to help. There's a time and a place for gentle, caring correction in a marriage. But, but, too many too often have found the time and place to be always the present. And I would just remind us, men, that's not like Christ. Christ walked with his disciples day after day and he did not deal with everything in them. He's the son of God. He knows every thought that went through Peter's head. Did he deal with every thought? Oh, Peter, you're doing it again. Peter, why? You just open your mouth again. He dealt with them. He corrected things but it wasn't all the time. Christ is our model. I'll close with this, and then I'd like to conclude with a thought that I think ties this all together. Husbands, our wives are called to arrange themselves in incredibly vulnerable positions under us. The role God has placed us in as husbands is not about control or management like it was back in the day of the Romans and the Greeks. It's not about selfish rule, getting what we want. This role God has placed us in is all about loving responsibility, living for the holy good of our wives. Living for the holy good of our wives. A few years ago, I picked up a book titled, Women and God, Hard Questions, Beautiful Truth. And I picked it up partly because I was working through some things in my own understanding of Scripture, and I thought, well, I want to get a take on this from a woman's perspective. I can think about it this way. I'm a guy. It's good to get some other perspective on it. And uh, my wife brings along a lot of that, but the book was helpful too. The author is a woman named Kathleen Nielsen. And Nielsen does a good job in her book of explaining passages like the one we've been considering this morning. And I think she, she nails the bigger picture of this. And I read this statement, I'm going to read for you in a moment, and it just pulled everything together in my mind, everything we've been looking at in Colossians 3, everything we've been seeing about Christ, it brings it all together right into these lives. Let me read it for us. Scripture has a few words specifically for wives and a few for husbands, and it has thousands for every believer. This is why women and men need to focus first and foremost on knowing Christ, Women and men need to study and live and teach on the whole scriptures. Then it will follow more naturally for a wife to submit to her husband as to the Lord. It will follow more naturally for a husband to love his wife with Christ-like love. Our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is primary and flows into every other relationship and she finishes with this statement, that's the point. If we get preoccupied down in the weeds with, oh boy, look at what he's asking me to do and look what God's expecting here and look what's going on here. We've missed the point. The point is that we get to live as Christ calls us. When it comes to Christ being Lord of life, My life being hidden in him, his government touches all facets, including the roles of wife and husband in marriage. Being in Christ doesn't reverse or remove the roles. It transforms them so they ultimately reflect the authority and character of Christ himself. That's the point. And that's the point that God would have us capture this morning as we consider these. Are we yielded to him? How's our balance on this? Maybe we need to go back this morning and revisit some passages and rework and rebalance our own thinking about some of these things. These things matter. These mundane domestic affairs, even them, Christ is Lord of. Let's pray.